Welcome back, everyone. This is Discussing Who, and on tonight's episode, I have a very special guest with me, someone who, like me, had a pod shock beginning. Who is that? Mr. West Hubbard. West, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you today? Dude, I am really cool. I am finally recuperated from Hulanta this weekend. Good experience, fantastic experience, but finally not tired anymore. So that's a good thing. I know how that is at the end of a con weekend. It's either con crud or exhaustion. Yes, and I'm glad. I, w- I would take the um, exhaustion any day over the con crud. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> well, what I, what I, well, let me tell you this. I'm going to tell you an interesting story. And for anyone listening, uh, before I get into talking more with West about who is West and where did he come from, my interactions with you started this past February when uh, Clarence and I were representing Discussing Who at Pensacon, and you were the person who was lucky enough and had the opportunity interview on stage, face-to-face, chair-to-chair, Mr. Pond. <laughs> yes, Arthur Darvel. Yes, I, I, I love having fun calling him. I can't call him Rory Williams. He's Mr. Pond. Mr. Pond. You know what? That that was probably, that's the most fun I've had doing a panel so far. Done panels for three years at Pensacon. And um, for those of you who don't know, it's in Pensacola, Florida, in February, most every year. And it's it's started out the gate as a great con, and it just gets bigger every year. Uh, I can't heap enough praise on, on Mike Ensley and the group behind that. They just do incredible things, and I'm looking forward to this next year. But just being able to be a moderator, it's been an honor. Um, you know, they did something different. You know, a lot of places call in moderators or they just hand people things and say, go interview this person. But they took the time to train us all, um, give us a, a list of things, of do's and don'ts. And then they, you know, try to pair people with, um, you know, the proper actor. A lot of times they don't give you people that you're huge fans of, which is actually good because sometimes you fanboy out and just can't say anything. <laughs> so I was surprised I was able to even ask Arthur any questions. But uh, what I did... The last two years, I'm, I'm the stage manager for the Sanger Theater. So I'm there all day making sure, I guess you could say, the trains run on time. So we're getting all panels in and out. And this year I had two panels there, um, Arthur Darvel on Saturday and uh, the Walking Dead cast on Sunday. The backstage stuff's pretty interesting. You get to meet everybody, which is a plus. Um, and I also got to introduce John Barrowman, which was crazy. Oh, yes. Never been in a panel like that. Did you guys go to that? Panel? Oh yes, and, and and I will tell you. Well, I'll tell you two stories about that. But you know, let me tell you what I really enjoyed about your panel with Arthur, which okay. was I, I liked the way you had the conversation with him. It wasn't just a you know he comes in, he stands up there, he talks, and then he starts taking questions from the audience. It made it more organic, I, I, I would say, because, you know, John Berriman is John Berriman. He's going to be himself and be John Berriman. But with Arthur Darvel, you kind of got an opportunity for him to show things that he wanted to talk about or talk about things, but doing it in a conversation-like setting. So whoever's idea to put the chairs like that, kudos. I don't know if that was yours or someone else, but it made it look and feel very organic it was kind of the moderators we have our training sessions and we get together before and you know any ideas anybody came up with in our last training session we were like at the big venues like the sanger or the rex theater or the pensacola theater you know you got the big table and about 10 chairs and then it's just you and somebody else it just looks awkward we thought so we thought we'd put the chairs out for the the one-on-one so yeah we're that was first year we did that and i think it looked really nice yeah it did and it felt you know from from being in the audience i'll say it felt like i said organic but it felt really real if that makes sense well it helped to relax him and i know it helped relax me (laughs) because i was really nervous but he's a really nice sweet guy i guess you would say and you know not at all the stereotypical actor you know i asked him i had questions for him but i asked him if there's anything he wanted to talk about and i know he was very big into live theater uh which he likes to do more than i think television and movies and when he got backstage at the singer he was just floored by where he was going to do his panel and pensacon's a little different 
for those of you listening that haven't been, our public center is not very big. Um, it doesn't have lecture halls and things like that for big panels. So what we have to do is do the panels off-site at the venues. They're only a block or so away from the thing. It's a, it's a good 10-minute walk, but you can fill up the Sanger Theater, and it's a nice place to sit and cool off and listen to a panel, get away from the venue for a few minutes, and then you start to find out there's places to eat down there that you don't have to spend a fortune at the venue to you know buy a hot dog for $27. Right. And the guests... Um, the talent loved it because most of the time they get to a convention center and they never leave for the weekend. So they don't see anything. Pensacon takes care of everyone, even down to the lowest, you know, I won't want to say lowest. All, all the guests there are there for a reason. They're all good at what they do. But, you know, you got megastars versus not megastars. Even the not megastars are, are being treated like megastars there. And, and you don't see that a lot of cons. I mean, they're starting to knock the doors down to get here. So enough of that. The Arthur Darville, the who convention, connection was just uh, it made me nervous because that's a that's the first big new who actor that i got to sit down and talk to like that um i've met classic doctors left and right and those are awesome and we'll get to those later but um just coming up with the questions is kind of hard because you want to talk to them for about 20 minutes or so and then give time for people to ask questions but sometimes you might get a guess that just answers yes or no questions <laughs> Like I've got friends that had thirty questions and we're done with them in five minutes. Wow! Because it's the actors were, yeah, no, eh, I like this. So, you know, they just were not there. Then there's some that a friend of mine last year did Dan Starkey who mm-hmm. played um, Strax. Strax. Mm-hmm. He talked so fast that he said he had to pull up his IMDb and start asking questions off that. And he said he turned around and looked at him and went, "You're looking at IMDb, aren't you?" Because <laughs> that's the only place anybody would know that question. Wow! Um, so okay. you, you kind of. I'll tell you, the most nervous I was was the very first one I did, and it was three years ago, and it was David Prowse. All right. So I've never done a panel like that. I've, I've interviewed people on my former show, but I had never sat down with a quote celebrity. He was Darth Frickin' Vader, man. And he was probably the nice, and he relaxed me before we got on there, and we just had a nice conversation. So then I started pulling on my podcasting experience, and that's basically all it is. It's a podcast with an audience. So, but I appreciate what you said about it. Uh, I don't know if you'll remember this, but I strategic, well, for starters, I had no idea. And I, that was the first time for that particular panel. So I'll always remember you honestly for that very reason, because that was the first time I personally had ever had the backbone, I'll say, to get up and actually ask a question. I can get on the mic and I can do this, you know, but I've never done the get up and ask a question thing. Why? I don't know. Just never have. I said, okay, I'm going to do this. So I'm standing there and I had my question picked out. I don't remember what my second question was, but I did know the story of the filming of the last scene. And I even knew that they had to come back and film some other closing uh, wrap up scenes later. So I said, that will be something that I can ask that will be really meaty and give him something to talk about that's not just like well what was it like being on doctor who you know kind of oh question. yeah that's a question i try to stay away from some of them you can't help but ask but yeah that's like what's it like working with matt smith like yes. they're gonna go oh, he's an a-hole <laughs> yes. i hate him i was the guy that asked that question and i remember how cordial and how nice arthur darville was not just to my question but he was genuinely Nice and cordial to every single person. So kudos to him. Right. Definitely. Clarence had taken some pictures of that particular event or your panel and had posted it on the Discussing Who website or and also on our Facebook page, which you had messaged us on Facebook saying, hey, could I get a copy of that picture? Cause he Let did- me tell you where I found the picture. Okay, cool. I was scrolling through my Facebook and some Pensacon stuff was coming up and there was a YouTube video, I guess you guys had done that had, you know, Arthur Darvel panel. And I'm like, Oh, I haven't seen any footage from it. I didn't know if I had footage or not. And I put it on there. There were some pictures. So I was like, who are these guys? I looked you up and then found out how to contact you and send you a message. And then okay. Tell the rest of the story. We're at Pensacon a little. After probably 30, 40 minutes after it was over, we had already headed back to the main part of the con. And so I get a message from a friend of ours, I now know, Ian Bissett, saying, Hey, uh, I saw that picture that you posted from Pensacon. The guy that was interviewing Rory Williams, uh, I know him. 
And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, I wish you would have told me that you were there because I know him. And I was like, okay, well, how? And he said, well, we used to do a podcast together. I just thought, to, and I told Clarence, I said, how much of a small world is that, that we're in Pensacola, we're watching an interview, and then a hour later, I get a message from someone else that I know that's saying, hey, I know this person. So, I mean, small world, right? So Stephen Wright said, it's a small world, but I wouldn't want to have to paint it. Yeah, exactly. But I do want you to paint one picture for me, so if okay. you don't mind. Ian Bissett, and by extension, that says that there has to be a Dave Cooper some way involved if there's an Ian Bissett, and it's called podcasting. It has to right. have a Dave Cooper. Kind of tell anyone listening how you know or what type of celestial intervention might have happened that you might know Ian and Dave. Well... It started out with uh, we were all fans of Podshock, shocker. And when Podshock started doing his live shows, they they did it on TalkShoe. And when you log into TalkShoe to listen to it, they have like a chat area. So we all started talking in chat and stuff like that. And we sort of got to know each other over the few weeks, you know. And we realized we all kind of like the same stuff. But this show is about Doctor Who, so we don't talk about Star Wars or Star Trek or Blake 7 or whatever comes to mind. So we were like, why don't we start a show that we can do live after Podshock? Because people still wanted to sit around and talk afterwards. And, you know, we'll come up with some cool name. And I I, I was thinking around, uh, initials are good because people can remember themselves. So like CIA, that sounds cool. And I started thinking, calling it, Celestial Intervention Agency, because it's Doctor Who reference. But then I got to thinking, eh, maybe not, because people may not know that. And we're, we're trying to get more of a, instead of just a Doctor Who audience, we want a broader audience, that, and we talk about more broad topics than that. So we did our first live show, God, I don't know how many years ago. It was probably 2006 or seven, maybe eight. And I remember we ended up, at the end of the episode, talking about... Uh, real estate in the different countries and how it works. I don't know how, but our conversation got to that. <laughs> um, and then we had a bunch of different hosts on that show. We had probably about six people talking. And, and over the time, it ended up just being me and uh, Ian and Dave. And uh, I, we did a live show from uh, a con in Panama City called Wrath of Con. And we had a our first celebrity on the show, which was, um, oh, what's his name? It's one of the ghost hunters, one of the original ghost hunters. Got you. Uh, okay. Brian Harnwall. Brian Harnwall. And he was awesome. Talked to us about ghost hunting. And then um, Ian and I got to to get an interview Ian really wanted with Gigi Edgley from Farscape. And it's it's out there on TalkShoe. Look up um, Random Vortex and look it's back what we call themselves Cult of an Audio. And it's there somewhere in the ether. And that was an awesome experience. And we, we you know met a bunch of cool celebrities and talked to them and all that. And um, just over time, I kind of faded out because work got in the way. And they went off and did their own thing, which is really awesome. And I'm so proud of them. It's, it's unreal. They did more with it than I did. So kudos to you guys. And um, you you made a interesting comment before we started actually getting into the recording session was how many people who are podcasting today in 2018 would not be podcasting were it not for Louis Trapani beginning a podcast in 2005. That's absolutely true. Because, um, you know, you got Dave and Ian. You've got me. me. And you. you got you, yeah. <laughs> um, one of my co-hosts who came on after them, and I don't know if you necessarily listen to Podshock or not, but because of Podshock, I had a show, and he came on it. He went on to start Earth Station Who, uh, Mike Faber, and he's got a huge group of people doing his stuff so i mean it's all connected out in the ether i bet you could go all the way up to the nerdist and it'll be back to, to uh yeah lewis at some point and and, and you're <laughs> right because uh you know also before we started recording you know when you said that the first thing i said was yes and he was at hulanta this weekend just like us so yeah yes it's, so it's just so it, weird that how many people lewis impacts and, and, you know, I, I remember I was going to say this earlier. We did a roundtable discussion after one of the seasons, and he invited people from different podcasts that were going at the time to be on there. So it was Lewis and 
I don't remember if Ken Deep was on there or if James Naughton was on there with him, but Dave was on there. I was on there. I don't think Ian was on it. But then the three who rule from uh, Radio Free Scarrow were on it. I didn't realize I was even in a podcast with them. That's awesome. <laughs> um, you know who those guys are, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, Steve Schapansky and, and the gang. Uh, they're awesome. They're still going strong. I wouldn't say they're an offshoot of Podshock, but you never know. They might be because <laughs> they popped up like shortly after. So, um, but that's Canada. So, well, uh, <laughs> what's what's really interesting is how there are podcasts that come and go. There are podcasts that are still around. There's podcasts that transform. But one thing that is interesting about the Who generation or the Who fandom that are in there doing these different podcasts are there's no animosity because because you've you know you started the central intelligence agency with or the celestial excuse me with our intervention I got it totally cult it, it actually turned into cult and it became cult them exactly and then you had pod shot that birth discussing who in some ways you've had so many ties but everyone seems to just be happy amongst themselves. Yeah, they are. And um, I just remember we were called Cult Them in Audio or CIA. And when they decided to do their own show, they started, you know, the Cult Them Collective. And I felt like, well, Dave kind of coined the Cult Them part. So I had no problem changing the name and I changed it to Random Vortex, which is what it kind of still is now. But I haven't done one in forever. So it might be back. It anyway, might be back. Um, so let me ask you a question, if you don't mind. Sure. You know, beyond the podcasting, what would you say your central fandom is right now? Um, right this minute? Right this minute. Um, I'm on a Blake 7 kick. So right now my central fandom is going through all the classic Blake 7 episodes. If you don't know what Blake 7 is, Wikipedia folks. Okay. For someone who has seen Blake 7, and I'm going to blaspheme right now, I've never seen an episode of Blake 7. I know. Yes. So I know that's blasphemy. Just like I had to admit to Lee Shackelford the other evening that I have never listened or watched or read, even though I know who Douglas Adams is. (gasps) Yes, Hitchhikers. I've never read it, seen it, watched it. Oh wow. Yeah, I got. I kind of got that (gasps) exactly from him. You know, it's okay. I'm going to tell you what I tell people who've never seen Star Wars, which makes me gasp. But you know, there are people that haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it by now, don't, because you'll either A, get so hooked on it, you'll go crazy, or it's been so hyped in your life up to that point, you'll never <laughs> enjoy it. But a Blake Seven's good. It's like watching 70s Tom Baker, Hinchcliffe era without the Doctor. Okay. Same, same exact production values, and it was all written by Terry Nation, who created the dollar. Right, right. So, very good plotting, very good acting, cheesy special effects like you love. The costumes are terrible, but man, it's a good show, and it's very dark. It's, it's not like Doctor Who at all. So Blake Seven is kind of what I'm looking at now. But as far as you know, I'm always a Doctor Who fan, always will be. Um, it depends on what's on because, like, when it's Doctor Who season, I'm all there, man. When it's um, Star Trek season, I'm there. Right now, we're kind of in between things. My wife and I just binge watched Lost in Space, and I loved it. So, um, there's so many fandoms out there. It's hard to just pen one down. My, my main fandom is probably Doctor Who. All right. So speaking of, so why don't we focus for a moment on Doctor Who, since this is discussing Who, so it just makes right. sense to to do uh, and talk Doctor Who. So let me ask you. This is something that I ask everyone who is a Doctor Who fan that I meet. It's a, the inevitable question I have to ask: Who is your favorite Doctor? I bet most people say, but they all are because they're all, you know, blah. My favorite doctor is the fifth doctor, Peter Davison. Okay. He's my favorite. So was he your first doctor or was he just your favorite or is he just your favorite? Well, to quote David Tennant, he is my doctor. But the first one I saw was probably Tom Baker. Uh, I, I came across Doctor Who by accident. Uh, I was about 10 years old and they started showing it on PBS in Atlanta. And I was just up 10 o'clock one night flipping through the TV and they were just, they were in one of their pledge drives, you know, where they interrupt right. the show 20 minutes and keep you stuck to pledge money and then they let you go. Um, they were showing the five doctors. So the first episode I ever saw was the five doctors. And then the next week, 
I came back and they started with uh, Tom Baker's robot, the first episode. and went all the way through Tom Baker, never missed an episode. And they weren't showing them in like 30 minute, you know, with the cliffhangers. It was all the hour and a half, two hour long omnibus editions. When they got to the end of Tom Baker and he regenerated into Peter Davison, they went back to Tom Baker's beginning and went all through it again. So I watched it again. Then they got the rights to Peter Davison and went through Peter Davison. I loved the fifth doctor from that point on. It was my favorite. Um, then they got the third doctor. Then they got the sixth doctor. Seventh Doctor is an interesting story because I met him before he was the Doctor. Okay. Um, interesting. Share. They used to have a traveling Doctor Who exhibit that would go around the country. It was like in a semi-trailer. And you go in, they had props from the show. And it came to um, Emory University in Atlanta. My dad took me over that Saturday. Um, and they had John Nathan Turner was there. And John Pertwee was there. And this guy named Sylvester McCoy was there. And nobody knew about it. It was they hadn't broken the news in America yet that Colin Baker was leaving the show. Ah, we had just okay. gotten Colin Baker. So they introduced him as the new Doctor Who, and we're like, what? And so he was, he was just in a pair of jeans and a leather jacket, and he had his hat, the hat from the show. It's his hat. So he signed autographs, and somewhere my parents, I have a piece of paper with his signature on it, but it was a year before I got to see him on TV as the seventh doctor, which was a story I got to tell him again when he came to Pensacon last year. And he was telling um, his promoter guy that's with them all about the traveling exhibit and how they took him all over the country and nobody knew who he was. (laughs) It was kind of awkward in some cities because they're just like, we want a real doctor. He's like, but I am, but I haven't been one yet. (laughs) But there's that there. I'm your doctor. You just don't know it yet. You don't know it yet. So if anybody's interested, you can go look up on YouTube, um, Sylvester McCoy, Atlanta, I forget what year it is, like 1980, he was what, 1988 when he started, so 1987, Emory University or something like that, and there's a PBS special with a guy named Eric Luskin who used to produce all this stuff for the PBS, it's for Doctor Who, he's out of New Jersey, and there's, they're on stage with Pertwee and Sylvester McCoy and John Nathan Turner and some BBC suit who's actually in a suit <laughs> talking about how much they love Doctor Who and it's really funny. Okay, sounds uh, sounds like that and I'll put that in the show notes. That sounds actually funny. I'll see if I can find the link and send it to you when All we're right. done. Cool, cool, All cool, right. cool. I, I have an interesting question. I like Peter Davison's Fifth Doctor, but his is not some that I have immediately gravitated to as as far as his stories i don't know if it was the the crowded tardis or or what exactly it was but tell me this what about that era the fifth doctor's era that makes you see him as the favorite your favorite i think it was because that's where i got introduced to some of the more classic monsters because it was during john nathan turner's um throw everything at the kitchen sink but the kitchen sink at the show because it was going through its 20th anniversary phase right first episode i saw was peter davison and the five doctors so i got i was confused like what's all going on because i didn't know about regeneration and all that and then i guess it was his 20th season when when they brought the brigadier in and then they had um you know, different villains they haven't seen in a long time. Saw the Daleks for the first time. I really enjoyed, you know, some of the sh- the episodes that people don't like, like Terminus. I love that episode. I don't know why. I just do. There's something about his youthful exuberance and his, um, you know, he wasn't so serious. You know, Tom Baker could get serious and clowny, and he was, it was just played totally different than Tom Baker. And it may have just been Tom Bakered out by that time. Maybe so. Maybe so. But I just, I've always liked, and I like his costume. I don't know why. You know, some people think it's boring, but I like well, celery and everything. So, uh, you know, anybody that can pull off wearing a vegetable, I mean, yes. I mean, you know, what else is there to be said? And not to mention that the Doctor Who magazine reader poll for greatest episode of all time at one point was Case of Andrazani. Yes. Peter Davis. <laughs> Let's switch to the next question I have to ask, which is, who is your favorite companion? That's easy. It's Sarah Jane Smith. I bow at your feet. Yes, absolutely. You said something before, uh, once again, before we started recording, which I said we would come back to. You said and made a statement that it's not the classic series. It's not the new series. It's just Doctor Who or something to that effect. What made you think and, and say that it's just one story? I'm curious. Um. 
because it felt like Classic Who at some points. Like, New Who, yeah, it had awesome special effects, but it, it felt, the first season especially, felt a lot like Paul McGann's movie, which is kind of the bridging point, I guess, for people. I don't know. It's just the people that were in charge of it made it feel like, even though it had a facelift, it was still the same show to me. And because they continued it with the Ninth Doctor on and didn't just reboot the series, it's it's still Doctor Who. It just went on an 18-year hiatus. Yes, I agree. So for me, and and what made me think of that as far as why I wanted to go back right now to this particular point was, you are right, the the Ninth Doctor did seem like a continuation of the Paul McGann story. And yes, the special effects were, you know, much different. They were just special effects of 2005 versus 1988, 89, 96. But for me, the, and I have three words that make classic new be one story. And that is Sarah Jane Smith. Well, yeah, when they brought her in, it it bridged them together finally at that point. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, without a doubt, her, she, I think, solidified to audiences, this is the same Doctor Who. Well, what I was glad of is that the production team weren't afraid to throw in references like that to classic series, even though a lot of people had never seen it. You know, yeah. the, the the kids of that age in 2005, they, they weren't really popping out the DVDs that much. I mean, they were coming out, but they were coming out slowly for the classic series. Correct. So, as a matter of fact... Around 2005 is when I started watching Classic Who again because, you know, nobody was showing it on PBS anymore. I had a couple of videotapes but no VCR because they were dead. Um, and I hadn't seen Classic Who in 10 years. Um, and so I picked up a couple of DVDs. And from that point on, it was like every chance I could get, I was sucking down Classic Who like it was water. And then New Who every week. Just couldn't wait to watch it. And um, which made it hard because it didn't come to America for about a year. True. True. But those were the those were the days when you know stuff would fall out of the internet. So yeah, exactly. You don't know how you else. got it. Exactly. You know right. the 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 time lords were victorious, and you know wibbly wobbly what you watch. Right. So, I'll just say that I was in well into season three by the time it showed on Sci Fi Channel. Yeah. Uh, so likewise, I don't know how that happened other than nah, wibbly wobbly timey. Friend of mine. Friend yeah. of mine had it. Yeah, the doctor sent it to us. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's the same show, and and then you know as the as the show goes on, and people, I don't know, I guess the internet has ruined fandom for everyone because suddenly people who have the greatest opinions ever have to be online shouting them and not liking you if you don't like what they like. But it's a show. Some episodes are good, and some of them are bad, and that goes all the way back to episode one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> In the and, 60s. And They're not, not everyone's going to Yeah, exactly. Keep going, because I think you said, you're, you were about to say what I was going to say, yeah. so keep going. They're not all going to be gold, but you're always going to find something hoo-ish in it, and you're always going to find something you, you take Take the worst episode you've ever seen of Doctor Who, and you'll find something that you do like about it. But, you know, all this argument about, I don't like this Doctor, I don't like that Doctor, well, you know what? I didn't used to like some Doctors, and I've gone back and watched more of them, and I appreciate them. Listening to Big Finish, if you do that before you go back to watch Classic Who, if you've never seen it before, it makes it easy. Because the audio dramas, you can kind of put it in your head, and then you go back and watch the show, you know the actors. So Classic Who is a labor of love. And I would say to anybody listening that has never really watched it, yeah, it's cheesy and kind of slow in places, but watch it, because the stories are fantastic. You know, I'm going to quote a a saying that I've heard Lewis, and I'm sure you've heard Lewis say before, when he goes back and he watches a 1973 or a 63 or an 83 or a 2003, he says that he tries to put himself in the mindset of what was production in that year. Yes, I've heard him say that before. You know, and, and that's something that I've tried to do. And most recently that came up, we were reviewing the pilot of the original Star Trek on discussing Trek. And I, you know, I was thinking, okay, this is a little melodramatic and this is, you know, a little over the top. But then I had to, I heard like Lewis in my head saying, you know, it's 1965 and, you know, and I had to, you know, think of it in that perspective. And when you do that, that misconception or the preconceptions that we have of what it should be versus on our standard today kind of just goes out the window. Right. And I, um, 
voracious when you go read comments that people make after episodes come out just to see what people are saying about it. And and I come across some what I would consider dumb comments. They're not necessarily dumb, but I'm just, you know, we're talking about just going back to the fandom thing for a minute. I'm not going to let anybody take my enjoyment of Doctor Who away. If If an actor choice or actress say makes you think you don't want to watch your favorite show ever, then it's really not your favorite show. Good um, way to put opinion, it. In my opinion. Let let things go. Anyway, I was reading this thing, and it was about the the Twice Upon a Time episode. And it was right after the first trailer came out that really showed what was going on. And so you got David Bradley, and you got Peter Capaldi. And right before it came out, somebody was saying, oh, David Bradley's in it. They're showing some classic clips. Man, if they show the regeneration juice or regenergy or whatever they want to call it coming out of him, I'm never watching that show again. Because it didn't happen in the 60s show. And then somebody else was like, man, it was black and white in the 60s. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't have Time Lords then. Right, Chill exactly. out, man. <laughs> they're, they're writing this by the seat of their pants like everyone else. But you know and, what? The way they did that in the Christmas special, the way they you know, blurred it in and blurred it out and you know, took you out of the 60s and back into the 60s. Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. What did you think of Bradley's performance as – the first Doctor. I think he nailed the essence of the character. I don't think he was meant to be William Hartnell because no one could be William Hartnell but him. Right. I think he was playing the first Doctor, and he nailed the first Doctor. He didn't nail Hartnell playing the first Doctor, but he got the essence of the character, and I thought, if you're going to have to recast, do that. That's awesome. I'm fully uh, a fan of taking the cast from... Adventure in Space and Time and doing missing episodes with them. Oh, I am too. I have no problem with that. I think that would be spot on. You well, know, when we, I don't mean to interrupt, but David no. Bradley was at Pensacon last year and apparently he already knew about he was going to be in Doctor Who. Of course, couldn't tell anybody. But we were talking to him at his table and I made that statement. He said, You know, we actually sat down with Mark Gatiss and talked about what it would take to do that. And BBC just said it would cost too much money. And that's all it came down to. They were all willing to do it. So that's, that conversation had been had. It just got passed along. But it would have been nice if they would have had maybe some, some kind of big finish to, you know, take that idea. Oh, wait, they did have a big finish. They did. I was just about to say that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. It's hard to, I don't know, back in the day, we would step on each other all the time when we're talking, speaking of podcast days past. Um, people seem to be a lot better at it this day. <laughs> this no, day no, no, day. you're fine. You're fine. Keep going. Um, I, have you listened to that, the mm. first Doctor Adventures? No, I haven't. I want to, just haven't had time, unfortunately. I haven't. It takes about 10 minutes to get, if you've watched a lot of Hartnell and Ian and Barbara and Susan, it takes about 10 to 15 minutes to get used to their voices. But once you do, they've got the characters now. Gotcha. And by the time it's over with, you can't wait for the next one. And it's done very 60s style. It's not like... They took all the modern storytelling contrivances and put them together in a big finish with those characters. And now the ships are more epic and the battles are more epic, but the stories are the same. There's a lot of talking, you know, because it's audio. But they um, they do really good with it. I hope they do some more because they're really good. And then they've got some of the second Doctor adventures where um, Fraser Hines does the voice of the second Doctor and he's impeccable. Really interesting. He, he sounds just like him. But I have really been enjoying, they have the third Doctor Adventures, and they have an actor named Tim Trillor, and he's about 95% John Pertwee's voice and mannerisms, the way he speaks. And they got him with Joe Grant, and they're doing new adventures. So it's really good, too. They've got about four series of that. So it's about about eight or nine stories. So if you ever get a chance to hear them, they're good. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing... Sean Pertwee come back maybe for a Christmas special as the third Doctor. Yeah, I don't think that'll ever happen. I don't think so either. But but, but you know, yeah, who would have yeah, who would have thought? Sounds and looks just like him. <laughs> yes, and who would have thought? You know, when you say that would never happen, who would have thought that we would have had a curator at the thirtieth anniversary? I mean, the fiftieth anniversary. That is absolutely true. That blew my mind. Yes, see it coming. That was my, oh my God moment. You know, the whole, I can't believe when you hear that voice and you don't even have to see the voice, you know, the person, when you hear that voice, it's unmistakable. Yeah, it was magical. That 50th anniversary special, I loved it. Um, I, I think a lot of people were disappointed. There wasn't a bunch of cameos from actors past and stuff. And, and it would have been fine if they did, but I think just celebrating the character the way they did and then bringing them all in at the end 
They did it right. I, you know, I don't know why people hate on Moffat so much, but I don't think he's that bad, really. I mean, I, I see people even going back to old archives of when the first couple of seasons were on, people talking about how bad Russell T. Davis is. And then Stephen Moffat comes on, suddenly Russell T. Davies' years were the golden years of Doctor Who, because Moffat's terrible, blah, 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 blah. He's not. <laughs> it's it's a show that's very hard to make, and like I said earlier, some are going to be good and some are going to be bad. Okay, like, so, so I want to ask you about when you're talking about fandom, and you're talking about the different shows and the different eras and the different Doctors. Let's talk briefly about The Elephant in the Room, which is... We're having a new doctor for the first time in a way that we've not had since Patrick Troughton took over from the original William Hartnell. And what I mean by that is the weight of Doctor Who is upon her shoulders in many ways right. in fandom's eyes. What do you think of Jodie Whittaker? I think she'll be good. I think she'll be really good. I've always enjoyed her in other things. If you haven't seen her in Broadchurch, you really should. Give the girl a chance. She's going to be good. Give the woman a chance. Excuse yes, me. Exactly. And I think, I think she is going to blow people away. And I think they're going to be very surprised at how good she is because they're expecting her to be terrible because she's not a guy. Right. I think, it's, I think exactly. it's about time. And I think that uh, people just need to get off their high horse. If they're not going to watch because there's a woman, Doctor Who, don't let the door hit you on the butt on the way out. That's all I got to say. So here's here's what I've got to say, and I agree with you. But number two, I will say I'm I'm hearkening back to those people who were saying, oh, I'll never watch Doctor Who again. How could you hire someone as old as Peter Capaldi to play the Doctor? Yeah, <laughs> that cracks me up. People talking about this old man, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, the first Doctor was about his age. Right. <laughs> he got hired. Yeah, he. I think he was like five or six months younger than Hartnell when Hartnell first took the role, when he took the role. Yeah, really? Well, I remember when, when Matt Smith first got pointed out, people were like, what's that? That's going to be terrible. He's going to be awesome. Awful. Or when David Tennant showed up at the end of the first season, people were all up in arms. I remember reading, because back then they didn't have like Facebook like it is now, but they had little groups you could go read stuff and fan magazines had chat areas and stuff and people were just like that guy looks goofy he's gonna be terrible why did Eccleston have to leave he's the best doctor and then now people don't even remember him um or people jump in at Matt Smith they don't go all the way back and watch those until later and I don't understand that but anyway every time there's a new doctor there's complaints and then by the there's a meme on the internet somewhere where it's like the cycle of yes. life for Doctor Who fans. Yes. It's hilarious because it's true. I hate this guy. I hate this guy. 20 minutes in the episode. He's the greatest doctor ever. And then by the end of the cycle, it's I like, don't I don't want go. him to go. Yeah. That's how it all is. Let me ask you, let me ask you another question. The doctors talking about not wanting the doctors to go. Each person has their own level of emotional attachment with a certain doctor. And, you know, I will, I'll tell you in a minute after you answer which one this happened to. I will have had doctors where I find it moderately sad when, you know, the regeneration happens, ranging all the way up to I'm a puddle on the floor whenever it happens. So who was the doctor regeneration or which doctor was the most emotional for you? Um, that's a tough one, actually. <clears throat> um, I would have to say. Probably Capaldi. Really? Cause, yeah, because I felt like with, with Jodie Whittaker coming, it's a little bit of an end of an era. But he his speech in the end was just spot on. His The looks on his face, even going back to the end of the finale before it led into the Christmas special, you could see the anguish. So He's just such a good, subtle actor. And, it you know, I mean, I wasn't a puddle on the floor crying like some people, but I was, you know, like, oh, this is good. And I was feeling emotional. Uh, David Tennant, to a certain degree, did. Um, Matt Smith happened so fast yes. that it was kind of like, well, he's gone. Um, I think it would have been Eccleston had nobody knew he was regenerating. Good point. I think that would have blown people's minds, and people would have been really sad to see him go. But they knew after the first episode that he was leaving at the end of the season. So they're like, either the show's not going or someone else is going to be Doctor Who. And I think that that really... Um, kind of it would have been a super emotional one to yeah. not know that was happening yeah i agree um i just wish 
when the next person leaves, they don't tell them they're leaving, and they just do it. Heck, mid-season at the regeneration would blow everyone away. Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. But I don't think that can happen in today's society. Do you? No. um, Too many leakers. Yeah. Yeah, I Uh, agree. Um, so for me, my, my puddle on the floor moment would be David Tennant simply because we knew, you know, it was coming for years and we were building that he will knock four times, et cetera. And so, right. forth. so, so that was my moment. Now, what I will say about Capaldi's, the speech, you are right, beautiful speech, but the moment that kind of got me was not even, well, in that episode where he tells, Two characters for anybody that hasn't seen it yet. I won't spoil it, but he tells two characters, thank you for all you were to me. Yeah. That, that was really, really sad. But the point that actually I actually got choked up when we were doing our review was the, um, Dr. Falls episode. And it's the scene where there is someone walking on a battlefield and that scene just like totally with the music and the scene and what was happening. I mean, it was like even reviewing it, talking about it. I like, you know, like got choked up because it was right. so well done. So sad. The, now, if you want to talk about scenes that choked me up, like I, I got a little misty eyed on probably the end of school reunion when he says goodbye to Sarah Jane. Oh yeah. That, that was a big moment. And then of course the rose on the beach scene, come on, you can't be a human being if you don't feel something at like that. Yes. Um, but Father's Day, that whole episode in season one got me. I mean, cause it, it was just, to me, that's my favorite episode of season one is Father's Day. If you haven't seen that, what's wrong with you? Go watch it. Yes. Right now. And then listen. Turn this off and go watch it. Bingo. And then come back and listen to our review. And I don't remember what episode was, but it was in the last 12 episodes of Discussing Who. So go back and listen to it. So. Oh, okay. I got to go back and re- hear that. Okay. Okay. I, no, I've got I've got homework. To yeah, you got show. you. You have homework, and uh, otherwise there will be spoilers. So spoilers, 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 spoilers. And I have to give you credit. You did the you know put us on pause uh, because I have this saying that I do, and it was it was kind of interesting hearing you say what you did because it was almost mine so great minds think alike right but yeah i i I do that and then i have my spoiler warning which is a combination of canine wonder woman's music and river song so that's my spoiler warning so oh that moment with river song and the 10th doctor at the end of the episode is very emotional too that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole series so so he's just the tenth doctor is chained up, and she's sitting in the chair. Yes, yes, and yes, she yes. Goes through all that stuff. It's very. It came out of nowhere, and it was like, "What the heck's going on?" And oh, they killed off this awesome character. And then you watch the show, and you're like, "Wow, she's awesome anyway." <laughs> and I, I'm going to make a spin on what you just said. That was awesome. That was interesting, and that was sad when I watched it in 2008. However, when I go and watch it now in 2017, 2018, with the knowledge that I have now, especially after watching the 2016 Christmas special, Uh or the 2015, excuse me, Christmas special, and hearing the dialogue said in that Christmas special, pairing it with 2008, makes that 2008 episode even a hundred times sadder. Oh, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Absolutely. I have to go back. I haven't watched it. You go so back and watch, gonna, again, go back and, and watch it again. And I will find you a, I'll find you a YouTube clip where they have interjected scenes with scenes and, oh, wow. and I'll send it to you because yes, it, it, it puts a entirely new spin on that entire 2008 story. Right. Wow. So what would you like to see? Uh, and I know, you know, we've been talking for almost 50 minutes now. So, right. uh, I know it's kind of almost time to wrap. So tell me, what would you like to see happen in Series 11, Doctor Who? Series 11? Yes, the one coming up this fall. What would I you like to see happen? I would like to see it be good. 
<laughs> I don't have any expectations. Uh, I find that every season of Doctor Who, I try to go up with no expectation. Um, I don't mind mild spoilers and stuff like that because I'm going to end up watching the episode about 200 times anyway. So if I foreknow something, it's not going to kill my enjoyment of the show that much. But I just... I want to do like I do at the beginning of every season, sit down with no expectations and let the good be good and the bad be bad. Okay. But I don't have any particular things I want to see them do other than, you know, tell a good story. Because I where they can go. They've told so many stories. It's like they keep coming out with stories and it blows my mind every time. So I, I don't know what I don't know what to say. All right. No, no, no. That's a good I mean, that's a good thing to say. I, you know, I will I will comment on something that Lee and Clarence have both made reference to. The fact that you have the Doctor now as a woman, from the storyline perspective, as especially historical-based stories where they're going into the past, you open up a new dynamic because you've not got the white male lead actor, you know, taking control. You've got, you know, her, and how are they going to take that dynamic for her to still be the Doctor but be looked possibly down upon because of, you know, the fact that history doesn't see women kindly in the past. Is right. They- I think that's going to be an interesting take on things. But from what I understand from Jodie Whittaker's interviews, she's just playing the doctor. She's not playing the doctor as a woman. She's just playing the doctor. So we'll wait and see if the overpowering personality of the doctor doesn't matter with that stuff. And I, and but, you know what? I hope that it's, I hope that it is just she's the doctor and you're doing what I say. I'm the doctor. Right. You know, the doctor is always good at just going in and grabbing stuff off a shelf and start putting things together and say, Oh, you're looking at me. Why don't you go do that? I've got this. I got to take care of, you know, that's the doctor, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think there's going to be a little bit of people starting to say stuff and then she'll put them in their place kind of thing because that's what the real doctor, that's what the doctor would do. That's the doctor. She's just going to, I keep saying that. It's like, well, I think she's just going to play the doctor that happens to be a female. Just like the other ones play the doctor who happens to be a man. The doctor is a particular character. And that's what we're hoping. To All right. So I think you were actually doing that to give me a segue into my final question, which is okay. you're saying she's going to do what the doctor would do. I want to let my final question be about something or be a character that the doctor wouldn't be, which is, and I'll give you an opportunity right now to say something nice if you wish to. What okay. did you think of Missy? I loved her. I, I thought that their their take on Missy was fantastic. Uh, Michelle Gomez was a, a revelation, I guess you could say. I know a lot of people don't like her, but I think the master is so camp and the master is so not used correctly half the time that she just put a fresh take on it. And I thought it was really good. Me too. I love some Missy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was not happy to see Missy die. You know, well, per se, per she? se, per se, but did she? per se. <laughs> You know, I mean, she's the master. Of course, she's going to come back. I hope, I really, really hope that we see Missy as in Missy again, Michelle Gomez, sometime in the future, whether it be for an anniversary, whether it be next season, probably not happening. But yes, I definitely want to see Michelle Gomez again because she was so good at maniacal. She was so good at just being Missy. It's the evil Mary Poppins. Yes. Princess. Yes. Now, you will be able to hear Missy in the fall, though, because she's in a big finish audio, the River Song Season 5, where River Song is taking on four different masters. Yes. Yes. So doesn't that speak well of River Song that it takes four masters to go up against? Oh, yeah. I can't wait to hear her flirting with Missy. That's going to be awesome. Oh, that, that, do you, do you think there's still room? I know that's, I said that was my last question, but do you Mm -hmm. think there's still room in history and in future tense for more river? Well, in Doctor Who, anything's possible. I think there's probably room for more Captain Jack too, but whether it will happen, it remains to be seen. With Chris Chibnall taking over, he's going to do his own thing and not use everybody else's characters. But I think when the time's right and it's a good story, I'd like to see River Song versus a female doctor, that would be interesting. That would be very interesting. Interesting dynamic. Very interesting dynamic. But like just River Song with Missy is going to be interesting to hear. I think it's going to be a joy to listen to. Absolutely. I just want to say absolutely again that it was absolutely fun having you on, West. 
this was. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I had such a blast. Well, it's nice having someone who agrees with me so often. <laughs> so th- so you are literally welcome back to any time you want to come on. All right. Well, you know, just let me know. Or I'll tell you what, if I come up with an idea, I'll send it to you. All right. We'll, good we'll deal. Work we'll work yeah, something out. Well, and we maybe would, maybe one day we'll hear Random Vortex again. Who knows? And maybe we could come on there and randomly random the Vortex. Randomly Vortex about things. And, you know, the good thing is we'll be heading back to Pensacon, and you're heading back to Pensacon. And you may also be going to the Gulf Coast of Mississippi in October. Is that correct? Well, I'll, I'll be there. And uh, if they're doing panels, some of us will do panels. So it remains to be seen who's going to get to do them, but I'm hoping I'm one of them. Yeah. You know, we're, we're planning on going there, too. Then maybe we can actually, since you found us on YouTube, we will maybe do a YouTube video or something. Yeah, that'd be great. Or, or do a show from there. Absolutely. For anyone listening, if you would like to send us some feedback, you can do that by sending an audio clip to discussingwho at gmail.com. We will play that on the show. So thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been fun, and we will be back next time. Discussing Who is brought to you by Audible. You've probably heard of Audible, but just in case, they are the world's leading provider of audiobooks. They have more than 180,000 titles. Let me say that again. 180,000 titles to choose from. Imagine a genre, they've got an audiobook. And these files play on smartphones, Kindles, tablets, in fact, over 500 different devices. Now, for fans of Discussing Who, Audible is offering a free download when you start a new Audible subscription. And you can choose anything at all from that vast library. But we know you want to get one of their absolutely fantastic Doctor Who titles, which include New Adventures of the Doctor, but also Torchwood and River Song. And they're performed for you by actors you know and love. Wonderful voices, Tom Baker, Alex Kingston, David Tennant. The list goes on and on. So try it out for 30 days. And if at the end of the month you decide Audible is not for you, you still get to keep that Doctor Who book you downloaded. So look at it this way. Free Doctor Who book. So here's how you get started. Point your favorite web browser to audibletrial.com slash discussing who. That's audible trial, all one word, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash discussing who. Also one word. And that's how you get your free book. What could be better than that? You've been listening to the Discussing Who podcast. Discussing Who is made by fans for fans. No copyright infringement is intended. Show us your fans of the show by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter. You can find us on the web at www.discussingwho.com. Want more Discussing Who? Find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Player FM, the Doctor Who Podshock Alliance, and more. Send us your feedback to discussingwho at gmail.com, or if you'd like, simply record a voice message and send that to us via your smartphone, tablet, or computer. We want to hear from you.